0: Considering it's been several weeks and over a month since we have been in the book of Daniel, it's right and proper to do a little bit of a reminder and a refresher of where we've been so we know where we are as we study Daniel chapter 10. And what we see in the book of Daniel is a story that even though it is filled with fantastic miracles, truly astounding visions, but it's a story that we love because it's a story we can relate to. It's a story of a young Jewish boy... Who is was taken from his home. Before Daniel was a prophet, he was a POW, a prisoner of war. He was taken from his home and he was delivered into a foreign, hostile, pagan land as an exile. Daniel was someone who was um, truly a witness to God's justice. And as God had foretold, even in the Torah, even in God's law, that if Israel had ever disobeyed, if Israel had ever rebelled, if Israel had ever forsaken their first love and forsaken the joy of their union with Yahweh, then God would come and he would take away their land, he would take away their temple, he would take away their nation. What we see in Daniel is shocking. In fact, if we try to see it through the lens and the eyes of Daniel, we have a hard time understanding it. Let's be honest. We really don't have a category for this. I mean, to a certain degree, we all could understand and try to relate. What if a foreign enemy came in and they attacked us, they attacked the United States, but specifically they attacked our homes here along the Jersey shore. And then yes, we were taken from our home, from our security, from our national identity, and we are placed in a hostile land. We are placed in a place where people would constantly be trying to kill us. And what does it mean to be faithful in that hostile pagan land to the God who still reigns, who still sits on his throne? And that's why we have seen in Daniel this important truth. And I'll go as slow as I can. God's promises remain intact even when God's people are not in the promised land, right? God's promises remain intact, even when God's people are not in the promised land. And that's why we've seen miracles, haven't we not? As we've studied Daniel, we've seen miracles. I mean, a lot of the stories are stories that you grew up hearing about, right? Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace, Daniel thrown into the lion's den, Daniel seeing visions, and Daniel being in a place of influence, where he is able to be a witness to Yahweh that Israel has not seen for generations. This is how our God works. You see, as soon as we trust in our traditions, as soon as we trust in anything external to that worship, that union with God, then they become idols. And yes, God loves us enough to save us from ourselves and sometimes, listen, from our religion. And this is what has happened. But now as we come from Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 3, the fiery furnace, Daniel chapter 6, the lion's den, here we are in Daniel chapter 10, and the second half of the book of Daniel is really focused on the visions of Daniel, the dreams of Daniel. So that's why the chronology doesn't really line up, because it's approaching it from a different vantage point. When we pick up the story here in Daniel chapter 10, we are back in the rain and the time of of Cyrus at the beginning of his rule and of his reign. Let's look at it, shall we? Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. Everyone excited to read God's word? Praise God. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was, take note of this, a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank, of the great river, that is the Tigris. Listen, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphos around his waist. Let's pause right there. Where we pick up this story is the beginning of the reign of Cyrus, the Persian king. Now, if you even remember from our study in the book of Nehemiah, you'll know and you'll remember That Cyrus makes a remarkable decree in his first year of authority. In in, In a shocking turn of events, Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah and, yes, destroyed the temple with its walls and robbed Israel of its greatest resources, which is its people. Its best and its brightest went to serve him in Babylon. Cyrus flips the script and he sends back a remnant of Jews to go live in their homeland, to rebuild their temple, and to fortify their walls. So this is a couple years after that, which is very, very significant because I think this is part of the reason that Daniel so distraught. But also, this is right around the beginning of a new calendar year. This is right after Passover, right? This is the beginning of the year, like he said, and Daniel is partaking in a 3 week fast. Three weeks of no delicacies, no fine foods, no meats, no wines, nothing that would give him physical joy. He's fasting. Why? Because he's mourning. And why is Daniel mourning? Well, we don't know specifically. It could be that Daniel is mourning because he's not with his people in the home and the land of his people. I mean, envision this, right? You're a young man. You get taken from your home. You're now in exile. God delivers you from all of these different perils. God is faithful. And now, amazingly, this new king says, all right, many of you Jews can go home. But it would seem, except for you, except for you, Daniel. Daniel, you have to stay. So yes, it would seem that Daniel is partaking in the fasts that were natural to partake in when it was the Passover, the beginning of the Jewish year, and when it was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But that was only meant for a week. This is three weeks. You see, this is a fasting, and this is a mourning that's bigger than just a superficial obedience to religious tradition really understands because today we fast, right? Some of us, we come from traditions where we fast like candy or coffee during Lent, right? But that's a very limited season. No, there's something truly guttural. There's something truly deep about what's going on in Daniel's soul that he is extending the duration. And it's not just fasting from unleavened bread. It's not just fasting from what the Torah requires. No, he's fasting from all these other things. It could be that, yes, he is lamenting the fact that he is not with his people, in his home, to see with his own two eyes the temple rebuilt, to see with his own two eyes the wall being rebuilt. That would lead us to be sad, would it not, friends? Wouldn't that lead us to say, God, why me? Why am I stuck here? Look, they're all going home. It's because his calling was to stay. His calling was to remain. God had been faithful God is requiring Daniel to be faithful in the calling that he was in. What we see here is Daniel doing something truly astounding. You ready? This is really, really helpful. Daniel is praying for a blessing that he'll never see. Daniel is praying for a blessing for God's people that he himself will never experience, never see, and never get To actually enjoy. How often, and myself included, are my prayers about what I hope to see? My prayers about what I hope to experience? My prayers about what I hope to enjoy? No. Daniel's praying for the glory of God and for the good of God's people, even if he doesn't get to enjoy its blessing. But I believe that's only part of what's going on here, because I think the rest of the chapter really informs what this great conflict is. He talked about this at the second half of verse 1. He said, the word was true, and it was a, what? Great conflict. There's no mention, really, of the remnant returning to Israel. There's no mention of the walls being rebuilt. There's no mention, necessarily, of the temple being rebuilt. So what's the conflict? So what you're about to see in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, is the whole physical reality That we spend every waking minute completely encompassed in, pulled back. And the spiritual realm is revealed. And yes, there's a conflict. Yes, there's a battle. Yes, there's a war. And that's when he gets this vision. And this vision is very significant. Not only for Daniel chapter 10, but even for the New Testament and even for the book of Revelation. He has a vision as he lifts up his eyes in verse 10. He looks, he beholds a man clothed in linen. I'm in verse five with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. And now I'm in verse six. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. My goodness, who is this person? Verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw the great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. I fell on on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Okay. Remember during Christmas Eve, we talked about the uh, great Christmas carol, what child is this? So it's kind of the same principle. What heavenly being is this? I would submit to you, and there's many different people that have different opinions. There's there's a good portion of people that think this is just an angel. But I think when you take this revelation here in Daniel, this vision in Daniel, and you overlay it with Revelation chapter 1, I believe this is none other than a Christophany. Can everyone say Christophany? Christophany. Don't you feel smarter? That means a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, if you take Daniel chapter 1 and Revelation, Daniel chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 1, and you overlay them, you see that this man is, both of these men are clothed in white robes, which suggests priestly garb. They both have a gold belt, which suggests kingly appearance. They both have blazing eyes. They both have bronze skin, and they both have roaring eyes both voices and those are all the signs of supernatural traits clearly this is no man is it an angel could be but i believe its similarity to jesus is so astounding that this is none other than a vision of christ himself and that's why later on daniel will say my lord who am i to speak to you he doesn't refer to angels as his Lord. No, this is his Lord, Jesus Christ. So we see Jesus here speaking and revealing himself to Daniel. How many of us know and understand that there's a spiritual reality beyond our physical vision? Do we get that? Yeah. Like, like, why is life so hard? Let me say this. Why is it getting to church so hard? Like, we show up on time to our work, right? Do we not? I'm not making eye contact with anybody right now. <laughs> like, kids get on the bus on time. Why is it so hard to get them out of bed on Sunday morning? Why is it so hard to pray and to focus? Why is it so hard to share our faith? Why is it so hard to share the gospel? Like, if you talk to a pastor or an evangelist, right, and they give a message, and by the way, what is it physically? What is it physically? It's me standing in front of you behind a wooden thing with a book talking. But there's something exhausting about it. Why? Because it's not just physical. There's a spiritual battle happening in Daniel chapter 10, and I hope everyone hears me. There's a spiritual battle happening even now. Even now. In a way that we can't see, there's forces at work vying for your devotion. Your affection and for the lives of you and your family. It's just what the Bible teaches. I like how one author puts it Abraham Kuyper, a statesman and a theologian. He said this If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle, listen, so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range. That the fiercest battle on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is being waged. And we thought life in America was just a playground, right? Like seriously, like we work hard, we get stuff, we play with stuff, and then we die. Oh, this explains why marriage can be so hard, right? What God has brought together, let no man or demon tear asunder. What God wants to do and what God will do in his sovereign will, the enemy wants to destroy and divide, deceive and distract. I don't know how many of you have ever gone on a road trip with little children. Perhaps you're a parent, perhaps you were a parent. But as a parent of four, soon to be five, hallelujah, um, we have been on many trips. Now, whether it's traveling to the Poconos or whether it's traveling down to Washington, D.C., or whether it's even just going to Wawa, everything is a production when you have four kids, right? One thing that astounds me, even to this day, being a parent now for 10 years, four kids— is that I can be driving, and let's say it's not to Wawa down the street. Let's say we're on the Garden State Parkway right at rush hour, and you have Mack trucks flying by you at 95 miles per hour. I could be driving, and my four kids have no awareness of what Daddy's doing, so much so that they'll ask me, for example, to climb in the back (laughs) and to put their shoes on, to fix their seatbelt, to make them a sandwich. Like, don't you see what I'm doing here? (laughs) Traveling 70, uh, 75 miles per hour. Got to get there on time. They have no idea how dangerous the open road can be. They have no idea, no awareness of the threats that are around them and how daddy's trying to get them home safe. It's the same thing with us as Christians, is it not? We can be deceived, and this is how C.S. Lewis puts it, He says, to a certain degree, I agree with him. He says the enemy's greatest deception is to make an unbelieving world believe he doesn't exist. We can be on this road even as Christians with our good faithful shepherd and our good heavenly father trying to get us home, and we're just playing. We're just goofing off. We're complaining about shoes and food. We have no idea the battle that's going on around us. We have no idea the war that's waging around us. We just act like kids. Jesus told us to be childlike in our faith. This is not us being childlike, this is us being childish. The Lord wants to recruit people for His army. It's part of the reason I got this short haircut. (laughs) I'm ready. Let's look back at the Bible, okay, before things get worse. (laughs) Verse 10, and behold, a man touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Verse 11, and he said to me, oh, Daniel, I love this church. Listen to this man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. That's good news. And I have come because of your words. That's really good news. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. All right, let's pause right there. A couple clarifyings, clarifications. Okay, so the first one, what does it mean when it's talking about princes? Well, I believe that this isn't talking about literal, physical princes. I believe it's talking about um, spiritual princes, spiritual powers angels, and demons. And that's why it's going to refer to both this prince of Persia, which is a demon, and also the prince Michael. Now, if you understand anything about angeology or demonology, both angels and demons are angels. One is fallen, and the other is worshiping the one true God, right? So it does make sense to a certain degree that both are considered princes. But this might be a total category change for some of us, because what you're hearing right now is that national districts, God is sovereign over borders, and yes, there are specific angels assigned to nations. Crazy, right? Not only that, there's demons that are trying to attack and that are embedded in specific nations. So much so that now this person is talking and saying, I was in conflict, I was in battle for these weeks with this prince of persia who is a demon focused on destroying the truth of god's word in persia okay so the vision was of jesus i believe that i think that's accurate but this word this message i believe is from an angel and that helps us to understand listen if it was jesus no angel stopping jesus right doesn't matter if you're the prince of Persia. doesn't matter if you're the prince of anything. Nothing's stopping the prince of peace. So I believe it's a vision of Jesus, okay? And then I also believe that it's an angel, probably the angel Gabriel, that's now speaking to him and encouraging him. And this helps us make sense of previous chapters in the book of Daniel. If you remember Daniel, in the fiery furnace, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then God, it would seem, delivered them. There was a fourth person in the fiery furnace described as what? Similar to a son of God. As we talk through it, we believe this to be, once again, a Christophany. Christ before Christmas, right? But then as we get to the, uh, to the lion's then with Daniel, it doesn't describe him as a son of God or as a son of man, but as an angel. So it would seem that the same son of God that was in the fiery furnace reveals himself to Daniel and the same angel that was with Daniel in the lion's den is now speaking to him and it would seem there's even a third angel Michael who is the chief angel the archangel who came alongside Gabriel to do battle everybody tracking we having fun learning the bible today the bible should encourage us about this difficult balance is that God is victorious, right? We need to remember this. We don't pray for victory. We pray from victory, especially on this side of the cross, the new covenant, Satan, sin, and death defeated once for all forever because of Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay. Does that mean we belittle and are naive about the attack of devils and demons? Definitely not. John Piper put it like this. Very, very helpful quote. He said, don't be presumptuous as though demons are weak, but don't be anxious as well as though demons are stronger than Jesus. Get that? Ephesians chapter 6 puts it like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. What did the angel do? The angel came touched him, and then helped him stand up, right? Stand up. So you could stand up against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do we believe that? Then perhaps when we're in the middle of fighting with our spouses, we should look around and say, oh my goodness, what is going on here? Because we say we believe in a church. But when we are truly, truly about to lose hope in our relationships with our loved ones, it's almost as if we're fighting like atheists. We're practical atheists. We believe in God. We sing songs to God. We say yes and amen at church. But when conflict comes, we forget where the real fight belongs. We forget the power of prayer to win those battles. I like how E.M. Bounds put it. He said, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Men of prayer, men devoted to fasting. I like how one missionary put it. He said this, in broken English. It's broken English, but it's not broken theology. He said this, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power better than a lot of sermons that I've heard in perfect English. We need to be a people of prayer, and then that's when the angel hears us, and the angel is sent to us, and of course now we have the revelation of Christ. He's interceding for us himself, risen and reigning at the Father's side. Verse 15, all eyes back on Scripture. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Now this is once again, Uh, I believe it's going from the angel back to Christ. Verse 16. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man. It's a very significant title. Touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh my, what's the word used? Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord for no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Has anyone ever felt in the midst of life's conflicts that you are without strength? That's where Christ meets us. Like, church, friends, listen, his office is at the end of your rope. It's in our weakness that he is strong, right? It's in our weakness where we are overwhelmed with the strength of God. I believe this to be Christ once again. As Pastor Ryan taught so well several weeks ago, the Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite titles. It was a prophetic title and that Jesus clearly and proudly used of himself. Daniel refers to this person as his Lord. I believe this is none other than Christ and Christ strengthens him. I love how Isaiah talks about this. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 talking about strength in the midst of spiritual conflict. He said this, No weapon, oh, this is good news. I don't know if you're ready for this one. Okay, good. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. No weapon that's formed against you will prosper. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says this, not by might nor by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is how we understand the new covenant. God doesn't just give us a word but God, the word, comes and dwells in us. Christ in us, union, unified, born again, with Christ, hallelujah, forever. As we pick up the end of this story, what Daniel really needed to know was not only that God was in control, that God was at work, but truly that God loved him. Verse 18, again, having the appearance of a man, Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O man, what does it say? Greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is no one who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. There's a lot there, but here's the big idea. We're not alone, okay? If we could put ourselves in Daniel's position, he has a new ruler, a new emperor, with all kinds of new challenges and new conflicts, things that could easily take his life. So, listen, he is surrounded by enemies, And what is this message from the Lord? You know what he's also surrounded by? God himself. When we feel like we're surrounded by enemies, what we should be reminded of is that we are surrounded by God himself, that he is our advocate. He is our avenger. He is the one who battles for us. We, as he told the the people who are making their exodus from Egypt, we just need to be still. He goes before us right? And then this message, three different messages, three different personal contacts with three different communications. What was it? It was here. It's very, very clear. It's fear not, have peace, and be strong. All of that is rooted in this one simple powerful truth. What's that? It's that you're loved, greatly loved. It's at this point, it's at this time, That yes, we can say yes and amen to spiritual conflict and forget it. But I think this is even a more desperate need. We could say yes and amen that we're loved, but not truly believe it. Not truly allow it to sink down into our hearts. Why? Because we still think that God's love for us is based on our performance for him. God loves us, not necessarily because you're lovable, some of us, we're not. God loves us because that's who he is. God loves us because God is love. John Owen put it like this. He said this, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay upon the father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is to not believe that he loves you. Jerry Bridges says, The great God, our great God, not only loves his saints, but he loves to love them. Do you believe that? So, in this season and year that's ending, and as a new year begins, remember who we're surrounded by princes and angels doing battle. Remember who loves you, none other than the Son of God and God the Son, Christ Jesus. We need now, not then to fall on our knees, to pray, to mourn, to fast, and to hear him say, I love you. I truly, truly love you. And then when we understand that, true lasting peace fills our hearts and we're ready to re-engage in this calling and in this battle. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a good, gracious Father. Let none doubt your love, even though I'm sure it's happening right now. Father God, you are also our advocate and our avenger. Let none doubt the spiritual conflict that's happening right now, even though I'm sure many are. Holy Spirit, would you attend the teaching and the proclamation of your word so that your word would go forth, even as that angel did, And speak to your people. Father God, would you destroy idols? Would you bring back prodigals? Would you build up your saints for ministry, for mission, and yes, for spiritual warfare? Church, friends, it's the end of another year. These years seem to come and go so quickly. Let the end of this year be marked by humility and by repentance. Would you cry out to him now and be honest about your need? Would you cry out to him now and be honest about our shortcomings? Would you hear him say that you are greatly loved? Right now, before we sing, would you talk to the Lord? Do some business with God. And allow this word, this seed, to be planted deep in your heart. In the spirit of prayer, in the same way the angel picked up Daniel, I'm going to invite everyone to stand. Let's rise together in the spirit of prayer, shall we, church? Father God, as we conclude our time together, Lord, would you raise up, would you raise up a generation here in Colts Neck, of prayer warriors? Would you raise up a generation, Lord, that's not content to seek what everyone else is seeking after? Would you raise up a generation, Lord, that truly does want to make their life matter for the glory of Christ? Would you do that? But even as we say yes and amen, Lord, that requires us to let go of a couple things. You see, the biggest battle is the battle for dominion in our hearts. Who's going to be king? Who's the prince? If you know it's time, at the end of this new year, the end of this year with a new year coming, to truly relinquish control of your life I pray you would do it now you would surrender to a God who loves you you would realize the battle around you and you would pick up the sword of the spirit the word of God and start loving your family start teaching them start sharing your faith if you feel so led you could pray this prayer with me Jesus we need you Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your power. Make me a person of prayer. Help me to reengage in this calling and in this battle. Thank you for the victory of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Right after service,